Darkcast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasting. Welcome to Murder and Mimosas, a true crime podcast brought to you by a mother and daughter duo, bringing you murder stories with the mimosas in hand. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosa. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assault. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. Today, we are going to tell you the story of Loretta Jones. So grab your mimosas, you sip, while we share. This is a story of justice prevailing, even if it took years. It was a warm night in July 1970 in Utah. Most people were getting ready for bed because they had to work or go to school the next day. It was a Thursday, and many were looking forward to Friday and the weekend. Loretta Jones was a 23-year-old single mother. She heard a knock at the door at about 10 o'clock that night, which, for a single mom, it was unusual. She answers the door and unknowingly invites her killer in. Her four-year-old daughter, Heidi, is already in bed, and she goes to the bedroom and tells her not to get out of bed and then pulls the door closed. The next morning, Heidi looked through the keyhole in the bedroom and saw something lying on the floor, but the house was very quiet. Heidi walked out and found her mother in a pool of blood. Remember, she's only four, and I'm sure she's completely terrified, doesn't really know what to do in an emergency situation. So she walks outside, and there's a neighbor that's digging for worms to take them and go fishing. And he tells her, come look at this. And she replies, I can't. I think my mommy's dead. The neighbor got the police and they began investigating immediately. They took blood samples. They dusted for prints. They took fibers from the carpet to sample and DNA. What the family would later find out is that Loretta was stabbed 17 times. And the person who did this attempted to cut her throat and raped her. Loretta worked for her father and was in school for accounting. She wanted to make something of herself for her and for her daughter. Police wait for Heidi's grandparents before they interview her. She tells her grandmother, as well as the police, that Tom killed her mother. Is there something that makes her think this is Tom and who is Tom? So Tom is a man that Loretta had briefly dated. Heidi says that she heard Tom saying he was going to kill her mother that night. We know kids that age are honest to a fault, so does this pan out at all? Well, before I get into that, let me just say this town was in a high crime area, and on on that same night, a 10-year-old girl, Lori Fennell, was outside running around on her bike. When she realizes it's beginning to get dark and decides she needs to head into the house. On her way in, a man grabbed her. 
throws her against the side of the house, her hands behind her back, his hand covering her mouth, and he's stepping on her feet. She's struggling to get free, and she tries to scream, but the hand over her mouth, of course, muffled those screams. However, that hand slips for a moment, and she's able to get a scream out. Her brother, his friend, and her stepfather run out of the house when they hear the screams. The man let her go and just takes off running. This was just a couple blocks away from Loretta's house. Did she know the man who grabbed her? No. But this is how it ties back to Loretta. Like I said, this isn't common for this kind of stuff to happen in this town. And on the same night, the police are thinking it's even more likely that this is the same man. The police began to go through Loretta's diary, and they do see an entry about Tom Egley. They want to know where he was, what he was doing that night. He didn't live in Prince, but he hitchhiked there. Gave some teens that gave him a ride there. And he had stopped, he'd grabbed a burger, and he ate it on the curb. He did a little window shopping and went to a local bar about 11 that night and had some drinks. To verify this, they do talk to the bar owner who says he did see there, see Tom there that night. However, oddly enough, she noticed red specks of something on his shirt and had asked him about it. He claimed he had been painting. Then he heads back home. He lives in a hotel with his girlfriend, who at the time is eight months pregnant. He's got a girlfriend laying up in a hotel pregnant, and he's out getting himself hamburgers and drinks. He sounds like a real winner. I wonder if Loretta knew he had a baby on the way when they went out. It supposedly to be like a blind date, and then they dated for like two months. My question is, who hated her enough to set her up with this man? Well, the police question Tom right away, of course, and they take fibers off of his clothes. It's about a month later that the fibers match the carpet in Loretta's home, but at the same time, they did date, so it's not unheard of that they are there. Since they have him in for questioning for Loretta, though, they put him in a lineup for the attempted kidnapping on Lori. They call Lori and her brother in to ID the person that in the lineup. And her brother is positive it's Tom. Lori, though, can't say for sure. So Tom ends up serving a whopping 90 days in jail for that attempted kidnapping. What? I'm sure that really taught him a lesson. I mean, can you imagine being that family that ID'd him and wondering if he's coming back for revenge? I hate, I hate that's all he got out of all this. I completely agree with you on both accounts. 90 days is nothing. And the fear that they have to feel after the fact, I mean, I'm sure it was probably hard to, like, let your daughter out of your sight after that. So, what about an arrest for Loretta? Well, due to the fibers, police arrest Tom, thinking it's enough probable cause. He pleaded not guilty. They do a preliminary hearing, and the judge declares there's not enough evidence for a trial So Tom is cut loose, unfortunately. Sadly, like many, this case went cold. Heidi went on to live with her grandparents, and her grandfather died four years after Heidi moved in, the age of eight. She says anytime she mentioned her mother to her grandmother, the grandmother would begin to cry. So it's not really something that they talked about much. 
her grandmother really just wanted to leave it in the past. Heidi grew up and moved to California in 1986. And then in 1989, she began writing letters to police, FBI, really anyone she could think of that might be able to tell her more. They actually wrote back, but no one was really able to give her information she didn't already know. Heidi kind of hung it up and thought maybe someday she would find out something else. So how did this case ever get brought back to life? What is it, one of the cold case units or something? Like many of us that want to post our excitement, our frustration, and everything in between on social media, Heidi posted on Facebook about her car being stolen in 2009. And someone who commented was David Brewer. He was a year ahead of Heidi, but they went to school together and mentioned he worked for the Carbon County Sheriff's Office. Well, Heidi got in touch with him and asked if they could talk in person. So he agrees to meet with her, and she tells him about her mother's unsolved murder. She even shows him some pictures she has that are taken of the bloody evidence in the home. I can't imagine where she got those. So Brewer agrees to check into it, but notices that the pictures she has of the crime scene aren't like official crime scene photos. She tells him her aunt went back to get clothes for her, and when she did, she took some pictures. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty weird. I don't know. It kind of sounds like something I would do, but (laughs) in this case, thank God that she did. Brewer tells her he's going to look at the crime scene photos they have on her case file and review the evidence. He's thinking with DNA from the rape kit, maybe he can knock this out in no time. Why do I feel like that's not going to happen? Because that wouldn't be much of a story and we wouldn't be here. They used to keep all this evidence like in the old jail and then once they got a new one, all this was moved. Yet Loretta's may have gotten tossed because it was so old or something because they can't locate it. No, so... He doesn't know who's been interviewed, who he should interview. I mean, he's starting completely fresh with literally nothing to go on. And it's been like, what, 39 years now? Yeah, so almost four decades was passed. But he was able to look at some old newspaper articles and see what was said as far as suspects. Also, he was able to get the documents from the preliminary hearing. And he found some documents at the medical examiner's office. He's got just a tiny bit to work with. Brewer decided to run an article in the paper asking for any information on the case. And he gets a call from someone that says Loretta wrote the killer's name in blood. Of course, he's shocked and asked how this woman would know. She said she lived with Loretta's parents at the time, and Loretta's father told her and his daughter to get close for Heidi, and she saw it written on the floor. No way. Is it visible from the picture, say, to It sure was. The detective had the picture blown up, and he saw a T and an O in blood on the carpet. I'm just still sitting here in awe. That's impressive on her part. Well, Brewer goes back to the documents from the preliminary hearing and interviews everyone that spoke at the hearing. However, at the time, Tom had married the woman he got pregnant, and we all know you can't testify against your spouse, so she didn't testify. But... They aren't married 39 years later, and Brewer decides he's going to go talk to her. He asked her about that night, but, I mean, how many of us can remember a random Thursday from last week? 
much less 39 years ago. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. We are Mountain Murders, an Appalachian true crime podcast dropping weekly episodes every Sunday. Our show offers well-researched cases with unique storytelling and Southern flavor. Stories so good, you'll want to sop them up with a biscuit. Ooh, I pull back the curtain on lesser known and often obscure regional cases from Georgia to Maine, exploring the darkness that lurks deep in the heart of Appalachia. And I react with profound statements. (laughs) You mean profoundly stupid statements. (laughs) Something like that. We're not your stereotypical hillbillies. But we do like moonshine. It'll tickle your innards. Join us every Wednesday for Mountain Murders Offbeat. Offbeat is a mini-episode covering a variety of topics, from true crime to conspiracy theories, the paranormal, and Appalachian-centric subjects. Find Mountain Murders anywhere you download podcasts. Hit subscribe today to catch up on our latest episodes or binge our catalog. And he went in and took a bath in his clothes. Oh, that's not suspicious at all. I guess that would probably stick in my mind, especially when he gets arrested later for it. Well, to top it off, then this guy bags his clothes up and he goes and he burns them. Okay, yeah. Surely you can remember this stuff. Well, Brewer decides he needs to talk to Tom now. He hunts him down and finds him in Colorado and pays him a visit. Brewer is sure that Tom is the man that killed Loretta, but proving it, that's a different story. He's told that he doesn't have enough evidence to take this to court, so just like all of the ones before him, he still has nothing. Brewer is speaking at Regional Cold Case Seminar, and he decides to present Loretta's case. Someone suggested exhuming the body and seeing if there's any DNA there to test. Not sure why no one thought of this in 2009, but I like the idea. Well, he takes this idea and he runs it by Heidi and she's all in. So June 8, 2016, they have the body exhumed. While unearthing the body, the casket tilts and water gushes from it. The crime scene investigator told them with all that water, there wouldn't be any DNA, which you know what that means. Another dead end. No pun intended. Yes. But Brewer, he has another idea. He calls the newspaper where Tom resides and tells them they have a suspect out there and they just exhumed the body and have recovered DNA. Oh, I like this idea. He doesn't know all the evidence is destroyed from years ago. I bet he's really sweating now. Well, they get a phone call from Tom's next-door neighbor, Lisa Carter, and she's positive that Tom did this. She's known him for years, and her father and Tom were friends before her father passed, so she offers to help in any way that she can. They concoct a plan and have Lisa wear a wire, try to get a confession out of Tom, or at least something they can use. Also, Lisa's husband was a police officer, so they even come up with a story about him training in Utah, and Tom came up as the suspect. She works really hard to gain his trust by telling him she shouldn't be telling him this. You know what? We actually have a little bit of that wiretap that we're going to play for you. Hold on just a second, and let's listen to that instead of me telling you what it says. I'm sick. If 
while I was here, I'm done. I said, I've known Tom 20 plus years. I said, Tom's kind of in a bad spot. And I said, what do they have? I said that they still have the swabs from the night of the killing that the people from the autopsy took. Well, I don't know how they can have DNA. Everybody makes a mistake in their life. You know, everybody snaps. Everybody has a moment when they're just fried and happens. Over the course of the next few days, Lisa Carter continues to talk to Tom and kind of gain his trust. And eventually he confesses. He tells her that, you know, he wanted to have sex, but Loretta turned him down. This in turn made him angry. And he just kind of flew into a fit of rage and killed Loretta. Tom says he did end up having sex with Loretta, but this part gets me. Lisa says, so you raped her? Tom says, no, she didn't say no. Lisa talks him into confessing and to what happened because they are closing in on him. And the door closed and then what? What would you think happened? If you had to guess, what would you think happened? I would turn down for sex. Okay. And that made you feel how? Like and when she come back, I stabbed her. So Tom says he will confess to the murder if he doesn't have to confess to the rape. What on earth? Are you okay with being a murderer, but you don't want to be labeled a rapist? Actually, that's probably the safest butt in prison, though. Yeah, literally. It took 46 years for justice, but justice did prevail. Tom was sentenced to 10 to life. I hate that it took that long, but I'm really thankful they got this man and he is behind bars now. We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us, so please rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.